You are listening to Sustainable Sounds. Sustainable Sounds is the podcast from the Fife branch of the Scottish Green Party. Teo McLeod talks to those who are making a difference. Check out the Scottish Greens website at greens.scot. This is Tim Porches of East Lothian Greens, and you're listening to the Sustainable Sounds podcast. Hello, and welcome to Sustainable Sounds, the podcast produced by the Fife branch of the Scottish Green Party. My name is Teo McLeod, and I am sat here today mm-hmm. via a Zoom link with Tim Porteous. Hiya. Hey, Tim. How are you doing? I'm good. Tim, you have recently campaigned for the Green Party in a by-election to be a councillor. I did, yes. I came forth in uh, with, with there was kind of six of us and increased the share of the vote. I think just shared under five percent. wasn't a target seat, but it was an interesting experience, and I'm I'm glad to have increased the green share of the vote. What ward was this? Preston and Seaton and Gosford. Preston, Seaton and Gosford. So it incorporates Preston Pans, Kackenzie, Port Seaton, Long Nidre and a few bits and pieces round about. Is that where you're from? Is that where you're based? Hi, I, I live in I live in Preston Pans and spent a good chunk of my childhood here as well. So you're a proper local lad. I well, kind yeah, yeah, yeah. And the house I currently live in just now in in the Pans is one I've lived in the longest in my entire life. So. I suppose in that one, but yeah, I'm a local and my footprints and memory are all over this place. And I, th- I think part of the reason for standing for this community was because I feel part of it and I am part of it. And my kids go to schools here and I remember it as it was and I've seen it develop and I've seen good things as well as not so good things happen. And you always want to kind of make a contribution. What do you like about your local area? What do you like about Preston Pans? What should people know about Preston Pans? If you're from Preston Pans, you're a panner, right? I always remember, I was really, uh, when I came to Preston Pans, I moved into the Pans when when I was young, and uh, I can always remember being welcomed by a neighbour, going, welcome to the Pans. And I remember, what? And then I very quickly realised what that meant. I became a panner. I uh, moved in to Pilton, so the Pans was kind of, just down the, down the sea from us, as it were, but it's right by the sea. The house that we used to live in, we could literally almost see the sea from it. And a big part of me growing up as well was the huge twin towers of the Kikinzi power station. The house that we lived in at the time, it's gone now, unfortunately. But um, the house that we lived in was right on the edge of the town and the power station loomed above us. The smoke would kind of dirty the washing we hung up it would let off steam it would wake us up at ungodly hours and in the morning and it was just always there and it's gone now of course so over six years ago it was demolished and there's a big debate about what should replace that site and, and that was kind of partly why i stood as well so are we talking 
sort of outskirts of Edinburgh. Yeah, about uh, you can get a train here for 15 minutes. It's beautiful. It's actually beautiful. It's an old industrial town. Preston Pans in the area around us was the epicenter of the industrial revolution. Actually, all around us there's evidence of coal mines, brickworks, salt works, soap works. It really was a place of huge industrial enterprise. It was the powerhouse of the industrial revolution with a powerful, even today, a powerful working class identity, a proud working class identity. And the town itself is, you know, kind of a product to that in many ways. A lot of that has changed, of course. A lot of the industry that built up Preston Pans is now gone. So we're coming into a new era. And so what I'm really keen for the Pans in the area around about here, not to be seen as, is just like a commuter kind of belt or town for Edinburgh. We can see Edinburgh across the sea very clearly. Edinburgh's not that far away, but we're not Edinburgh. Got your own identity. Oh, why? <laughs> well, of course, you mentioned Pilton there. Pilton's not that far away from the Leaf, the Leaf district in, no. in Edinburgh, which itself is quite distinct from the city itself. So, how is this background, this industrialised working class background, how has that inspired or progressed your your green political views? Well, I I think the first thing about being a green is that my journey in the green politics was kind of a twin lane of concern about the environment. And even when I was very young, I had a, a real passionate connection to nature long before the, you know, I, I remember the, the debate about global warming and but the whole thing about extinction of species and all the rest of it. And even when I was very young, I was involved in Friends of the Earth and organisations like that. But I was also organised and involved in the peace movement but also in, in the struggle for social justice. And I think it's really important that, that green politics are seen as in, in, encompassing all of these things. There can be no climate justice without social justice. I know that sounds like a cliche, but it's really true. And when you come from a place like Preston Pans, when you see the pockets of poverty that still exist here, when you see the social inequalities that exist, where you see the, the need for a kind of new way of doing things, you realise that, that working class communities really need green politics, really need the politics that puts value at the heart of the economy rather than growth that just benefits the wealthy. And so I think in terms of living in a, a working class community that has a proud industrial past, that it's really, as a green supporting party member, I celebrate and welcome that industrial past. When the power station came down, you know, I, I stood there, I had real mixed feelings. I have to admit, you know, loads of us stood there and we watched, got the film of the chimneys coming down. And I felt there was one part of me that was thinking, this is a good, a good development. This polluting power station, you know, that was really is a, a kind of energy system of the past was coming down and that's a good thing. But on another level, I thought to myself, oh, I feel really sad about this because this power station with the chimneys and this huge looming presence in my childhood and in, for most of my life up to that point was beginning to go. And I think a lot of working class people who lived in this area kind of felt that mix of feeling that they, they, they missed the power station when it went. And the mines and all the, the industries that kind of went about 
has left people still with a very strong identity. And so I think it's important that Green Party politicians, the Green Party, recognise and kind of talk the language of working class people. And I'll be honest with you, I think sometimes they don't. What is the language? What are the, the alternatives? What do we replace that coal energy source with? The only chance to that is, is, is the renewables that are coming. But I think, you know, here at Kikinzi, there's going to be one of the proposals is that already there's an established development which is going to bring energy from the renewable energy, you know, from the, the wind turbines in the sea. And so that there's a structure here already, the power grid structure that's going to be used to bring renewable energy from offshore. And that's going to be used and that's going to take up some of the, the site of the, of the power station. But that's really not going to bring a lot of local jobs, to be honest with you. And so there's a local community effort. There's a local community uh, proposal called the 360 Centre. The idea of that is to create a national climate change centre on the site of Kikinzi Power Station. Now, when I looked at this, I thought, this, this is really quite exciting. And it's exciting in lots of different ways. Because first of all, it's a project that's going to celebrate the legacy of this community in terms of its, you know, its contribution industrially, the mining, the fishing, you know, the salt making, all the rest of it. And so that would be part of this project, turning it into a major celebration and honouring of this community's industrial legacy. But what better way to use the site of Kikinzi Power Station, a polluting coal power station, to create a national climate change centre, what's going to be called the 360 centre, which would be like training and reskilling centre, research centre into the new renewable types of energy, which would actually provide the opportunity for, for sustainable jobs in the community as well. And as well, at the same time as enhancing the local environment that we have here as well, working class people for many, many generations have been huddled up against the polluting you know, industries from which they were forced to work, you know, the owners of industry, the, the rich, well, they got the profits from the industry, but they built the nice posh houses with nice gardens and parklands well away from the pollution. Whereas the working class people who went down into the mines had to breathe the dust, had to breathe the smoke, had to put up with the pollution, right? And that was the case here as well as anywhere else. And so working class communities have earned the right to have the benefits of the, the new greener industries that are coming along. And so if you have the 360 centre here, right on the site where Kikinzi Power Station used to be, enhancing the local area, making it a real family-friendly area, maximising the spectacular... Lo I mean, we have a spectacular location by the sea. I was just down there yesterday, uh, just before the storm, Right, and we could see this. Uh, we could we, we watched across the sea. You can see Edinburgh in the distance, and we just watched the storm envelop Edinburgh. We just watched the Arthur Seat vanish and all the rest. It's a spectacular location, and so bringing these new industries, which bring jobs and which bring a kind of sense of that pride and community that exists. I mean, one of the things about the power station was that the, the big chimneys that were here. People always used to say, oh, it didn't matter where, even when you were in Fife, you could be in Fife and you could look across the water 
and you can see the two chimneys. And I'm sure anybody who lives along the shoreline of Fife will ken this. You look across the water and you can see the two chimneys and you can see that's him over there. That's, that's where we live. And of course, that went when the power station went. But this new development, this new 360 centres proposing a large, beautiful statue celebrating our industrial past, you know, uh, which will likewise put us on the map. You can join the Scottish Greens at greens.scot join. So, Tim, I want to bring it back to yourself a little bit. What's your background? What's your job? I'm a storyteller. Lovely. I'm currently a storyteller. I'm a qualified community education worker. And community education has been, you know, uh, for the last 20 odd years, 25 years of different I see I see storytelling in some ways as, as community development work and I studied history at Glasgow Uni so I'm passionate about history and I'm a dad in, in many ways I think the most defining part of my life over the last 25 years anyway has been the fact that I'm a dad and I've been a dad in different circumstances and I've worked in charitable organization for dads working with dads as well promoting childcare issues. So that's kind of my background, I suppose. But the main part of what I do right now is storytelling and, and I do storytelling in schools, workshops with parents, storytelling in all its forms, really. Give a little shout out to the charity that you work with. Midlothian Sure Start is the, the charity I currently work with mostly. They do amazing work. It's mostly, most of my work is not based, with Sure Start anyway, it's not based here but just across the county border in Midlothian in a very similar community I have to say in Mayfield which is a fantastic place with the same kind of community spirit and also with the same history of ex-mining the only thing that Mayfield didn't have that the pans do is just that they're not quite so close to the sea but they're up on a hill so they've got good views and the wind and the snow to show for it in the winter time usually but that's just across the way so it's across the county boundary but it, it feels very much you know, part of the same community. This word community keeps keeps coming back round in our conversation here. How does your, your role as a storyteller and your engagement in schools and with parent groups, how do you build a community? That's a thesis really, isn't it? <laughs> There's different kinds of communities, obviously. Obviously, the most obvious thing that we think of sometimes when we think of communities, we think of people who all live in the same place. But people who live in the same place don't always have the same interests, same perspectives, same experiences. So there is there is an element of community that's connected to place. And I think that's really important. And I think here in the Pans, we have new housing developments all around the, the core of the older part of the town. And I think one of the issues for me is that, especially the housing developments, which, which are right on the edge of town and close to the motorway, how do we incorporate them into a sense of identity for the whole of the community? Because sometimes that's become an issue maybe, but that's okay because people have to define their own identities in their own communities. It's not something that someone else can tell them that you're part of. You know, it's like you can't say, well, you're part of this community. Well, if you don't feel part of that community, then, well, then that's, that's an issue that's, that's actually has to be acknowledged. And so people build their own sense of community. So that could be, from a very small point, the, the little courtyard that you live in, because you all share the same play park or the same place you walk your dog or whatever it is or whatever, uh, to a broader sense of community. But then there's communities of interest as well, 
communities of people who share the same values, same challenges. So community is quite a broad thing for me. And I think if you were, when you're standing for a, an election in a local council, you've got this geographic area that is defined as your community. That's one, that's kind of so that you're, you're clear about, you know, what your geographic community is. But within that community, you have got lots of different communities of interest and identity. And I think I'm maybe part of some of them, but I'm not part of others. But acknowledging how people identify their community would be part of my job, I think, as a councillor, if I was to be elected here, to be listening to what people are saying, what interests them, how they... So, for example, people who have different challenges to myself. So I don't know if that really answers the question, but I suppose it's fluid and it's it's not something that you can impose on people. And it's it's about listening. I'm a storyteller. And of course, storytellers talk a lot because that's part of our trade. But in fact, storytellers listen far more than they do talk. And I think that that would be a key thing. When you were standing as a councillor and even as a member of the Green Party in your local area, what are your aims and objectives to organising people and, and building that community? Well, organising people. You know what? It's not a target seat. For the Greens uh, in the sense that it's not been traditionally a place where the Green Party anyway has been perceived as to be you know electorally popular and, and there was a great candidate before and she did a brilliant job and kind of personally think there's probably enough old wrinkly kind of bald white men in politics already and um, I, I kind of said that I'll do this you know to give people the opportunity to vote Green because I think that's really important and I, I think if change is really going to happen in our country, if people are going to feel that sense of sea change that is really needed in terms of social justice and environmental action, it's communities like the ones I live in that need to be brought along with that because it's the communities that I live in who are going to benefit most from green politics and who are suffering most from the current situation. And that was the message I wanted to convey and why people should should vote green. What have been your achievements? <laughs> in terms of the campaign? Everything we've been speaking about, I suppose, in the campaign and getting that message across. Do you know what I think the achievements are? People coming up to me and talking about what concerns them. People coming up to me and just telling me about this and telling me about that. Having discussions in Liddles about climate change. And is it real or is it not? And having discussions about the erosion of the coastline here and whether we can do anything about it because it's a global issue and what can we do? For me, I think the main achievement has been the, the ability to kind of just have a discussion and raise consciousness about the issues that are so fundamentally important to our survival as a, as a race, but also the, a day-to-day -day issue for people living in communities like mine. And I personally, I'm finding it really hard to balance the books in terms of putting food on the table, paying my bills, getting the work-life balance right, making sure that the kids see us as much as work does, um, struggling, the anxiety about money, and then seeing a system that is actually awash with profit and money and wealth. And yet so many people are at a point where you know, they're hand to mouth constantly 
that issue is at the core of green politics as well. It's about how the economy functions, who benefits from it. You know, you, people talk about growth. The British economy, I think, was at its greatest growth in the 1930s during the time of empire. Uh, and yet you go, you go into the working class communities and say, well, who's benefiting from that? It's the same system that we have now. And so if we can get a discussion about who benefits from the economic system that we have and an understanding that, in fact, what we have right now is not just destroying the planet and destroying the environment that we live in and which we are dependent upon, but it's actually undermining our sense of well-being as well as our financial well-being. I think that's one of the messages for me for green politics. Was that too obtuse? No, no, no. That's, that's absolutely perfect. I don't want to sound like a politician, though. That's your trouble. <laughs> Maybe that sounded a bit too much like a politician. Oh, no, that's perfect. It's because I'm not a politician, as you can tell. It's a good working class voice and something we've not had yet in the... And so it's, it's a different point of view to what I've had in the past as well. And I'm trying to show that not every member of the Green Party is some upper middle class, crusty, corduroy wearing, muesli crunching, sandal wearing, you know, hippie. Um, well, no, there does. I mean, I think there is, there is a kind of image of the Green Party is, you know, of, of someone who just cycles everywhere and he will, you know, head off and buy their organic carrots from a very expensive shop and, and lives in an affluent kind of part of town and, you know, all the rest of it. And maybe there's a bit of truth in that, but um, that's kind of my point really is that, in fact, I live in a real working class area, really, this is an ex-council house. Green politics is the revolutionary politics of this age for the working class. Hey there. This is Colin McCune, and you are listening to the Sustainable Sounds podcast. And welcome back to the musical section of Sustainable Sounds. We are with our guest musician, Colin McEwen, who is providing songs for our episodes in Series 1. Hey, Colin. Hey there. Good to be back. Good to be back. Thanks for joining us. If you want to learn more about Colin, he provided the interview for our episode one. So if you want to scroll back through our collection, you can listen to a slightly longer version, a longer interview with him. Colin, for those who haven't listened to that particular episode, can you give us a little reintroduction to yourself, please? Yep. Hello. Good. I am Colin McEwen. Live in a little village called Lothrie, Northeast Fife. Singer, songwriter, musician, storyteller, and I have a, a catalogue of songs that I've been working through over the last couple of years with my friend Yvonne. When we've just been doing some recording, we've got an album coming out soon, and I'm very, very happy to be here. Thank you for having me. How would you describe your your musical style? My musical style, it's I think the simplest thing to say is it's what I can sing and it's what I can play on the guitar, really. But I have, I kind of adopt a style for each song. It's been interesting, actually, over the last couple of years, I've been playing my songs to more people who sit and listen and give feedback on them. And generally, they're all quite different. I use the style to, to fit, to fit the, uh, the mood, the thought, the subject, 
So uh, sort of folk to maybe a bit of rock and roll to um, slightly smooth, smooth, smoochy. Where can people hear more of your music? More of my music on I've got I've got YouTube. I've got some videos on YouTube. Um, YouTube forward slash Luthrie Lockdown, L-U-T-H-R-I-E. I keep doing that. I know, but people keep asking me how to spell it, so I just keep doing that. Luthrie, no, not Luthrie, Luthrie. It's Luth up. And I've got uh, also got Facebook as well, so you can find out what we're doing there. And we've got an album coming out, so that will be we'll be putting that up as well. And there'll be links to all of that from Facebook and on the YouTube page. We'll be able to click little buttons and, and find where we are by those. So what song are you playing for us today? Today is Nobody's Whistling. And the story behind this is um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a little little series of things that happened. The song was, was the result of a series of things. One night I woke up in the middle of the night I don't know why, but I just woke up and couldn't really sleep. So I put it on the radio. It was a world service. And there was a guy talking about work and contrasting the work cultures around the world. He was saying, in some places in the world, you've got something to do. You get a bunch of guys together, a bunch of people together, get some beer, <laughs> get stuck into it <laughs> and have a bit and just enjoy it. Whereas in Britain, we've got a real kind of um, a, a different attitude, shall we say. The Protestant work ethic. I'm at my work. Yeah, but you're standing doing nothing. I know, but I'm at my work. An act of noble misery, sometimes think. So anyway, I was doing lorry driving. I was doing agency lorry driving. I was uh, taking my, my HGV license for a walk. And there were two, two particular experiences. One was I was working for a company in Mulgai that made cardboard boxes, would you believe? And I had to take a trailer to a distillery at Leaven. I had cardboard boxes and bottle tops, a whole trailer full of it. And I arrived at the distillery, found where I had to go, parked up. This guy appeared in a forklift. And you had, this was before the days of iPhones, you had walkie-talkie, a mobile phone, and a Walkman with the buds in his ears. And I don't think he said a word to me. He just looked at the lines. I pulled the curtains back. He took everything, all the pallets off his full trailer. I closed the curtains. He signed the line. He disappeared. And he didn't talk to me. I thought, well, that's joyful, isn't it? And then I did some work. I was delivering to building sites for a, a, a building merchant. And you try and find, where on earth? You just get, I mean, literally, you just get given a, a postcode or an area and drive somewhere. And the, the, the address doesn't exist yet because they haven't built it. And I realized what to do is to look on a map. This was back in the day before iPhones and before sat navs. I just had a map of Glasgow and Cote Bridge and wherever, and you'd look on a map and it would say works. That's where the factory had been. So you drive to where the factory had been because that was seemed to be the postcode. And sure enough, there was a building site. And again, some guy would come in a forklift, not say anything to you, take everything off, and you drive away again. And so I just took that picture of these building sites that I found in all sorts of funny places. And I put it together. Uh, I should say it's kind of a background to this. My, my dad was a civil engineer and he used to take me out to sites. And I remember sort of being in the company of a, a whole squad of people working together to, to build something. And the, 
I mean, this was on the side of a hill, building a dam or building a road or something. And there was a tremendous sense of camaraderie. And I, as the boss's son or the manager's son, was was looked after by these these guys. And, there was, and I, I remember those. I remember those times of great fondness. It was really a remarkable experience for a small boy just to be put in the cab of a lorry and just spend the day just trundling around. And just now, um, I've just been working with a guy who. Uh, who sort of works very much on his own, and he was saying how much he wants to work as part of some common endeavour. And, you know, work has become broken down into just economic units where the actual the social relations, maybe I'm being a bit romantic about the past, but there, there were enterprises where people started at the same time, stopped at the same time, and worked on something, had a sense of participating in something, even if what they were working on they didn't really relate to, but working together on something. And increasingly with shift work and with sort of the atomization of tasks, that sense of, of communal um, participation in something is, is diminished. And of course, you know, labor as a as a political force has been greatly diminished as a, as a consequence. And it presents us with a great challenge. So how do you how do you face this kind of um, was what I'm doing is I'm articulating the alienation that work now is, the alienating experience that so much work now is. Lorry driving as well. I just throw that in there as well. I mean, dear God, I've done lorry driving. There's a lot of just that miserable on your own uh, my work. So that's what this song is about anyway. It's just a little sketch of what I saw. Tell us again what the name of the song is. It's nobody's whistling. And here we are. Nobody's whistling in the building. No one's singing songs up scaffolding. There's no banter going round, just puddles and muddy ground. And barely a tradesman to be found. All we've got is a forklift and a lavvy A bothy with the kettle for our tea An office with a desk and chair And a showhouse over there And barely a tradesman to be found And we're building ticky-tacky boxes for to be somebody's ideal home On a windswept stretch of hill Or some old factory or mill And barely a tradesman to be found So come all you who want your own front garden With a garage and a drive to park your car We'll give you your piece of ground Double glazed all safe and sound And barely a tradesman to be found 
Nobody's whistling in the building. No one's singing songs up scaffolding. There's no banter going round, just puddles and muddy grounds. And barely a tradesman to be found. Barely a tradesman to be found. You want to get involved in green politics? Follow the Scottish Greens on social media. This segues nicely into how we can get involved. How can people get involved in green politics where you live and more broadly speaking? Do you mean the green politics or do you mean the green party? Both. How can people engage with what you're talking about locally? We don't necessarily need people to be signed up members to be involved. Although that would be nice and the money would go towards good causes. But how can people just literally get involved and build a local community and have associated effects on what we're trying to achieve? I think at the core of the whole idea of green politics, whether it's green party or just green politics in a broader, or the green movement in a broader sense, is that you you look at the, the possibilities for community engagement and issues that are local that affect people and that people have an interest in. So where I come from, for example, it's the future of the Kikensia power station site. It's the issues of antisocial behaviour. We've got a lot of antisocial behaviour here, and it's, it's one of the issues in my campaign. And, you know, it has impacted on us as a family and, and also in the community. But antisocial behaviour is the product of something else. It's, it's not about blaming people who are involved in activities. It's about looking at the, the causes of it. and people can sometimes feel very disempowered by such things. But if you can find ways to get people involved and their voice to be heard, so it could be through the community council, for example, it could be through partnership working with other organizations, but people need to feel that there's people are busy. People have, you know, they're running, they're trying to put food on the table. They're trying to spend time with their kids as well. And so the, the way people get involved has to be, convenient for them too maybe that's quite a modern thing you know and so new ways of of listening to what people are concerned about but allowing people to come together and affect policy so decentralization of decision making has to be part of that so local groups you know so as a councillor i mean like I'll just give one example as a councillor if i had become a councillor I was asked, what would you do if you were a councillor would you take the would you take the job and i said well actually you know if i was a councillor I would actually give up my other work. I would probably do the odd gig every now and then in terms of storytelling, but being a councillor would be my main job. And a lot of, I think a lot of political representatives sometimes see, and not mentioning anyone in particular, but we can think of a lot of them, a lot of political representatives see being a political representative almost as a part-time thing. I think it's a real full-time thing and listening to people and making it your full-time vocation. Local people have, you've got the Legion here, you've got trade unions, you've got community groups, a community council, you've got parents groups, you've got the gala. There's so many different local groups that are not political with the big P, but involve people. 
So you have to look, where are the people already involved? And you don't want to politicise it. The last thing you want to do is politicise these groups and then that just creates division. But what you want to do is make people feel that coming together in a, so for example, the gala or whatever, is a moment of shared community interest from which people's discussions and interests can be listened to and acted upon. You are listening to Sustainable Sounds. As we begin to wind up, how can people find out more about, about the Green Party in your area? How can people engage more? How can people join up if they want to? They can contact the East Lothian Greens. It's a small group at the moment. Maybe that's part of the advantage. It's a small, friendly group of people who have a diverse interest in, in different things in life, but have a shared and common interest in green issues and social justice as well as environmental justice. And so if you have if you if you want to transform the world, whether it be on your doorstep or globally, and the two things of course are connected, uh, contact these slowly and greens. Now many people don't want to join a political party for a variety of reasons and for some of the reasons that you've mentioned as well. If people were hesitant about signing up for the, I think the, the base level is £3 a month membership fees. If people didn't want to do that, how else can they support in these loafing greens or just generally get involved? Do something that you feel strongly about, that you feel that you can change. Every now and then, me and my kids go down and do a little pick. There's some local people in this area who organise litter picks. That might feel sometimes like it's a waste of time because you go down and you, you pick litter and then a week later, the beach is full of more litter. But what you're actually doing is you're actually coming together with people who have shared values and shared ideas and want to do something and making a, a difference. And so it can be that, or it can be something else. It can be helping out in a, with a local charity or whatever it is. It doesn't have to be party political. And I totally understand the idea about people are, are quite resistant to get involved in party politics. But I think that's part of the, the green perspective is that local democracy is about people coming together in their local area with their different interests and coming together on their terms to make decisions and make changes that they feel are needed for their community and where they live, regardless of what party political label you have. I don't know if that answers that question. That might sound a bit kind of woolly, but that's what I think. Last question. What are your hopes and plans for the future? Personally? <laughs> Yeah. <clears throat> on a personal level, I'm going to be 60 this year and hopefully my 60s will be a reasonably healthy and productive decade. I want to see my kids grow up into an independent Scotland that has the ability to kind of manage its own resources and priorities and create a much fairer, much more democratic society in which they themselves can en enjoy and be part of. I want to see an environment that is not degraded but is enhanced. And we were up at Butterdean Wood, which was our, our favourite wood up the road here. And um, my kids have basically grown up in that wood. And we were tree planting there just last autumn. 
and I want to see those trees grow, kind of not just really, but metaphorically as well. I want to see a sea change in the way people behave, you know, towards each other and, and towards the planet. And I think all we can really do is work for that as much as we can in our personal lives, as well as in our professional and political lives. Tim Porteous of the Explosion Green Party. Thank you so much. This has been a Half Court Press production by Theo McLeod for the Scottish Green Party. Music was provided by Colin McEwen. <laughs>